So, a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam, and a Christian preacher walk into a podcast. It sounds like a joke, but it's really a friendship. I am Imam Omar Shaheed of Masjid Salam. And I'm Rabbi Jonathan Case from Beth Shalom Synagogue. And Reverend Ellen Fowler-Skidmore of Forest Lake Presbyterian Church. All of us gathered in Columbia, South Carolina to welcome you to our podcast, Abraham's Table. In our ongoing conversations about being faithful Jews and Christians and Muslims in this nation, the three of us wanted to have a conversation about how the symbols of our faith have been both a source of division and a reminder of our diversity, how we respond to the cross or to someone in a hijab or other head covering reveals a lot about our own experience and knowledge. In a nation that is becoming more diverse in both race and faith, how do we think about these symbols of faith? How do the symbols of our faith coexist with the symbols of our nation? And how are we as people of faith to think about, to feel about, to respond to fellow citizens who wear or display the symbols of other faiths? How do we treat one another? And how do the three of us talk to our congregations about what it looks like to be an American Jew, an American Muslim, or an American Christian? And what about religions and religious symbols that reject the belief in one living true God? As we continue this critical conversation, we trust you to continue it in your own heart and mind with those you love and trust. So come and gather with us around the shared table that belongs to our father Abraham as we talk about faith and citizenship, symbols of faith. Are they division, symbols of division, or symbols of diversity? Welcome to Abraham's Table. And I was saying, it occurred to me as we're sitting here in this room doing this podcast that I am the only person here without a head covering. And I told Jonathan earlier, I do have more hair than the two of you do, but I don't have a head covering. So can we start right there? Indeed. (laughs) The head covering that I have has actually two different names. Most people recognize the word yarmulke, which actually is Yiddish. It's not Hebrew. And it comes from two different words, which means to fear God. And the other word that we use that is in Hebrew is the word kippah, which just means covering. But the true essence of what it means is that we're always supposed to be cognizant of God. And the reason why we rear the kippah or the yarmulke is to be mindful of the fact that God is always present, because oftentimes we forget. We think that we're the only things in the universe and that there isn't a God. So this is always a constant reminder that, yes, And at the same time, it's behavioral, too. So that since we are constantly reminded of the fact that there is a God and that we are Jewish, that we become emblematic of what a Jewish person is that when they go into society and need, therefore, to behave as somebody that is behaving with integrity and morality and goodness. Is the sense in both, whether it's kippah or yarmulke, is there the fear God? Uh, I take that. I would assume that that means the sense of, of fearful respect. It's, is it, it's not a modesty thing. It, that, when you say fear mm-hmm. God, I guess I'm looking for what does that mean? Right. And I, I want to hear, I'll explain that, what it means 
but I want to hear my colleague here, Omar, talk about that as well, is how it relates in Arabic. But in Hebrew, the word fear also means awe. So in other words, the Hebrew word ha can translate in either direction. It can mean literal fear or it can mean awe. I think more often than not, it is understood as being awe of God, that we should always be in awe of God's presence. So we have a little hat on, and, and it's called, some would call it kufi, because it, it, the sounds differ. A prayer cap in English, usually when the one leads the prayer, he would put the little kufi on or covering. Some have what you call imama, more or less like when you see the, uh, the ones in Iran, you know, with the head covering. More like a, almost like a turban or a, yes. a cloth with a band around your head. Yes. That's called what? <clears throat> Some call it imama. Mm -hmm. Different names, you know, because of the As in culture. imam? Yes, yeah, so, sort of like that, but okay. it's different. It's different. But the, the head covering in Islam is usually for prayer. Now, cultures have head coverings. Uh, different cultures, they wear different head coverings. But for Islam... Uh, it is not, it's not mandatory, but in different traditions, uh, they, they, they tend to show a sign of respect. But you wear yours all the time? Not all the time. Not all the time? No. You, you may see me sometime without mine. Okay. But, but always but, but, but when, I, during I, prayer. I'm getting bald now, so you may see, <laughs> you may see me more with it. But um, <clears throat> it is a sign of... Uh, of respect and a, and a sense of awe, as you mentioned earlier, not fear of God like we fear an animal or fear something, but it's a sense of awe, a sense of reverence. But it's not, it's not necessary now. Okay. Do you understand? It's not necessary. Does the word kufi mean anything? I th thought I had looked it up one time. <laughs> because, you know, uh, we deal with English so much. And I didn't look up the word kufi, but prayer cap, head covering. Well, i got to tell you, it sounds very much like the Hebrew word, I said kippah. Yeah, uh -huh. I'm going to look for it. I'm going to look at it. I'll, I'll get that for you. But there's no difference in, other than cultural differences among Muslims, about what kind of head covering. I mean, is, is what you have on related to a particular Islamic culture? No, because uh, they're made... Uh, Differently, you know, different from uh, a different style. Some have this and this. So this sort of put a little American flavor to it. Okay. Okay. Could you describe it for the people that yeah. can't see you? Well, it's more or less like a, um, a hat without a brim on it. <laughs> it is like a hat without a brim. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's basically, uh, that's basically, because it, they differ. And uh, we talked about, what you would see in the media, sometimes in different countries, you would see, uh, they, now, if I read it or pronounce it the way they say in the media, it's burqa, right? Burqa. But if you pronounce it in Arabic, it's, it's uh, burqa, burqa, burqa. They was talking on MSNBC, I was watching the uh, report, and someone was interviewing someone and they said, you call our country Iran. It's not Iran, you say. It's Iran. Well, if you know Arabic, you, do, you know it's a, I ain't that, Iran. 
but the average person will see it Iran. So it's easier for English people to, to pronounce that than, than it is for Arab. But let's go back to, I was talking to a friend of mine. He said, under the Ottoman Empire, Turkey, they had that, I'm going to use the term, burka, uh, burka. And uh, that became uh, a symbol of religious, uh, I guess, uh, religious consciousness for the woman. And but he, but my friend from Egypt was telling me that they tried, they 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 did it in Egypt, but then they outlawed it after a while. I'm talking about the the burqa uh, as they as we pronounce it in English, the full covering, where from, you see from the head, to, just the eyes the head, are from the head all the way to the or front. even not eyes showing. They're yeah. two. They're different yeah. levels. So yes. I'm hearing you say, head coverings for the men are. Always in prayer, but not mandatory otherwise. But the the way I, I've experienced it is there are different levels of covering for women, and that's also maybe cultural too. But so hijab is very different in my my understanding, which is next to nothing, than a burqa, right? So a burqa might you might not even see eyes. Yeah, you may not even see eyes, and uh, I know that that if you're in America. Mm-hmm and you wear that, you're going to stand out. You're going to draw attention to yourself. Right. And so I was looking at some of the cultures, and it was saying that when, because it was, it was with the Jewish, you have Jewish, and you have Coptic Christians who had that covering at one time, the veil, the veil I would say. So when you look at um, the different cultures, mm-hmm. you can see that at one time it was for protection, for some reason not to be, not to, to differentiate yourself from other women in society. So I'm going back, the veil or the hijab, as they call it, all the, those, are, those are cultural mm-hmm. dress, okay, dresses. In Islam, there's an overriding part in the Quran, the Quran that says, we have revealed uh, dress upon you to cover your shame, to be an enhancement. But the best dress is libasu taqwa. The best dress is God consciousness. The best dress is to be regardful of God, to be regardful of God's presence, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, his protection. That's the best dress because you can put anything on externally, but if your heart is not right, you can put on a long dress or covering and still be a, Go out and do prostitution. I'm just using this. No. As a, yeah. Yeah. So, the, the 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 emphasis of the Quran is upon taqwa, upon God consciousness. Now, which brings us to the different cultures. When I became Muslim in America, there was no, and my wife, there was no importing from Saudi Arabia or from any other country to dress us. So what was the standard? What was the expectation of your wife? Modesty. Which means? You would cover the head. So you can't see hair. You would, the face would not be covered. Uh-huh. The hands would not be covered. Uh-huh. And the feet would not be covered. So if you met that rule of modesty, that's what the religion requires. But then you come into the different cultures that we have in our religion. And there were those who had come from other countries, and they saw business. They saw what? 
a business. They could sell oh. clothing, and they said these are Islamic clothing. These mm -hmm. are clothing that the Muslims should wear, even with the kufi, the different head. And they made a business out of it. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing in the Quran to say that we, and there's nothing in the life of Muhammad to say, take this and every Muslim is supposed to wear this. Or that. No. But so I'm saying that modesty is the rule. And if we come to America now with these different cultures, you're going to find that, for instance, there's a young lady I was working uh, at the state, and, and a co-worker of mine, he was married to a young lady. Uh, we attended different mosques, different messages. And she was dressed a certain way, following a certain school of thought. And she had a veil on. That before the mask became perfect. <laughs> but she had a veil on. And the, she, her face could not be seen. So she went to the bank. She had a check, a check uh, with her name on it, a driver's license. But she told the, the lady or the person at the, the teller that she could not show her face. So the teller said, I see the driver's license. I see the check, but I, I can't see you, your picture matching this. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when this person, who was a teller, called the office to speak with my co-worker at that time, then he wasn't in, so I answered. And I said that uh, now what she's wearing works well in Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia and other places where they can accommodate, the culture accommodates that. Where she might not be able to have a bank account. Well, she can have one because I've seen them go to the bank there when I was there, but they had a way that they were dealing with them. Mm -hmm. So my point was, was that in America problematic. If you can't see a face, how can you cast a check? How can you? So something transpired. I can't remember what happened eventually, but it, it shows you that cultures are not universal. Right. The principles of the religion are. And so the rule of modesty for Muslims, there are some Muslims I know that work as, that are judges, and they don't have the full dress like you would see the typical Muslim. They have the judge's robe on and, and the head is not covered. There are those who work in the military that don't have that full dress on. They're, so the rule of modesty, what is respected, what is, what is required of decency and respect, those are still to be implemented. But, there's but no the dress would differ. But there's nothing in the Quran that says women must keep everything but their hands and feet and eyes covered? That's interpreted. A couple of verses in the Quran. Let me, let me read. I think I have it. I just, just, I don't want to yeah, no, monopolize I'd be, it. I'd be interested to know. I think it's just uh, something that I don't know much about. It says in the Quran, in, in the Quran, in chapter 33, verse 59. It says, O prophet, tell your wives and daughters and the woman of the faithful, the believers, to draw the wraps called jalabib, jalabib, single jibab, over them. Draw the, the wraps over them. They will thus be recognized and no harm will come to them. So it tells you that there's a protection that they are asked to wear. But it says, uh, draw the wrapping over them, okay? 
Then uh, in another one, it says, tell in another chapter, it's a, it's a verse that comes up. It says, I think it's in 37, 38, no, it's in 24, uh, 31. It says, tell the believing woman to lower their eyes, guard their private parts, and not display their charms except what is apparent outwardly, and cover their bosom. Didn't say never cover their head. It said cover their bosom, right? Uh, with their, in English it says veil, but in Arabic it says kumur, kumur. And not to show their finery except to their husband or their father's or father-in-law, etc. In other words, don't display yourself in, in such a manner that men just observe you, uh, your physical body or something like that. Preserve that. Now, I'm gonna make you laugh. I'm just. This is. This is. I'm like uh, Jonathan. Now he loves to have us laughing, so I'm gonna make you laugh. Good. I was talking to my sisters. <laughs> I had five of them. <laughs> <laughs> and in the house, they had on pajamas and a gown, <laughs> fully covered around the family. <laughs> so they went out. And the styles had changed a little bit, you know, the short dresses and everything. And then he went out, and one of them was wearing something like a miniskirt. I said, now you, you want to know why my wife dresses like she dresses in the public? And I want to, I played with him. I'm going to ask, why do you dress like you do around us, but go out in the public where people don't know you? <laughs> so, it, so once you understand the cultural meanings behind certain things, I think that's where we, uh, we differ, but Quran says modesty is the dress. It's interesting. I've, I, as a, co- a counterpoint as well as a point of confluence in Numbers, Deuteron- Numbers chapter 28, rather, um, it talks about the commandment to put fringes on the corners of your garments, which indicates that they had corners in their garments. And for a nomadic people that was wandering around in the desert heat, covering the body was absolutely imperative. Yes. So they'd wear these four-cornered, I like to call them bedsheets. They'd wear these four-cornered bedsheets, much as you'd see people in de- and living a desert nomad life today, mm-hmm. covering themselves up. So the fact that people long ago would wear these clothes to protect them from the burning sun in the Mideast makes perfect sense how it might have developmentally come to be that the hijab came to be a part of the dress of people that lived in the Mideast. So, for example, even in Sephardic Jewish culture, which grew up in the same areas as modern-day Islam, Mm -hmm. the dress differential between the two cultures was minimal. In other words, Women would, and men too, would cover themselves fully to remain safe from the, the, the hot sun. Yes. And, and, by the, and by the way, the, the transition, how this was handed down through the generations, is this is why Jewish people, when they pray, wear a prayer shawl to this day, hmm. which is kind of a long-term inheritance and diminution of the way that our ancestors used to wear this huge bedsheet during the nomadic times. Do you wear a prayer shawl when you lead worship? I've seen you. I can't remember. 
I wear a prayer shawl whenever I pray during the daytime. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, we could say for the folks who are listening, so we are right in the middle. There's a, a Reformed Jewish community, a conservative Jewish community, of which, Jonathan, you're part, and then there's an Orthodox or a Chabad uh, congregation. Right. And so every Friday, Saturday, where I live, there are members of the Chabad congregation who are walking to worship throughout the weekend and without fail. I don't see the the ringlets, but the prayer shawls for sure and the, the yarmulkes walking around. And there's not some standard that I see for the women other than modesty, modestly dressed. Well, kind of like my colleague here, Omar, has said about the different cultures that people come from, each culture has its own individualistic practice that is distinctive from other practices. So in some Jewish cultures, particularly those that are Hasidic in nature, um, the woman would cover themselves by wearing a hat or by wearing a wig and a hat um, and wearing a long dress to cover the body, not showing the knees or not showing the, um, the elbows. And men in certain circles, all the way in the Hasidic sects, would define themselves by the type of hat that they would wear or the type of coat that they would put on or the stockings that they would wear. And this comes from Eastern Europe, that each individualistic community maintained its identity to preserve its culture from which it came. Yeah. And culture has a lot to do with interpretation, religious and scriptural interpretation. So I want to add that uh, if you go to the different masjids, uh, masjids here in Colombia, you will see the imams, the prayer leaders, and the ones who give the khutbah, the talk on, on uh, Fridays, they would have more of their t- traditional dress, a thobe, uh, something of, of that nature. Yeah. A, a what? A robe? A thobe. What's well, a thobe? It looked like a robe. Okay. <laughs> it looks like a robe. But uh, they would have more of their traditional dress. Does it look more Middle Eastern? Or, or Indo-Pakistani, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I went to the, uh, make you laugh again. I went, to, uh, <laughs> I went to the university one time at USC to speak to a group. And they, they had invited uh, me there to address Islam, the issues of Islam, uh, explain Islam, understand Islam and Muslim. So when I got there, one of the uh, students asked the questions. Said, "Well, where's your uh, where's your Muslim dress?" I said, "Were you expecting someone from Saudi Arabia or uh-huh. from Pakistan?" Or who? I said, "I'm American. I have my dress, and I had on a suit." <laughs> <laughs> so I had on my suit, and they, I told them, "This is my dress." You know. It's interesting that that. One wonders whether the dress that we wear is so that others will identify us as part of a particular group or whether that is worn so that we will recognize that we're distinct and individual from apart mm-hmm. from the rest that are not like us. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it always both? Maybe. I mean, in the Christian tradition, um, you know, when I think about the, the history, in the, prom, in the Western Christian tradition in the Roman Catholic Church, there's a long tradition of women wearing prayer sh- prayer scarves, 
over their heads. I don't know that that translates. I mean, I think about Jackie Kennedy. You know, she had on the veil, the black, when, when her husband was killed. So, But that that's really gone away. But every once in a while, I'll see particularly older women wear either a hat or yeah. some sort of headscarf. That did not translate into the Protestant tradition at all. Well, I don't um, know, because in the Baptist, now, when I was growing up, Hats. Yeah, my Hats mother, tree. my mother, my sisters, the, the people that, that attended church, they had a hat on, and they had on uh, dresses that came below the knees. Hmm. It was no miniskirts. No. <laughs> no, that was a sign of no great disrespect miniskirts. during that time, you know. But um, if you go back and look at the, the history of our country, women wore long dress. Mm-hmm. Long dresses, and uh, they had the hair covered. Well, so then that gets us to part of, the, I think, the rub when we come to interpret what is the meaning of of that religious dress as also the only person not wearing a head covering and the only female in the room. So what part of the rub became that that prescriptive dress began to be used not as a symbol of the faith from the inside, but from the domination on the outside. So mm-hmm. women can't, and women can't because of the weakness of men. So even to this day, <laughs> conservative, even conservative evangelical circles, Billy Graham was famous for never meeting alone with a woman. Mm. And, and while he touted that as a sort of a purity culture thing, essentially what that does is it cut women out of places of authority because they weren't able. And so there is some, it, it's, I don't think it's an either or, but there's, it's got to be a both and. There's a, a way of dressing, because in the Christian scriptures it's clear, we're, we're called to modesty too, although I don't know that you could tell it, right? <laughs> but modesty is yeah. a requirement. Oh, yes. But imposed becomes a weapon. Yes. Now, you, you hit on something that I had to address, and I have to address it from time to time, at Fort Jackson. I'm there for Sunday mornings. They have what is called Islamic teachings on Sunday mornings because uh, it's the downtime. We're in a Christian society, and it's the downtime, so people go to church and others, so they let the Muslim attend what is called Islamic teaching, Islamic services. And I have to explain that when we show videos and talk about the Muslim woman and her dress, that here are soldiers, female Muslim basic combat trainees, or there are those in the military who uh, don't fit that profile. Mm-hmm. So the rule of modesty then, the rule of uh, taqwa, God consciousness has to come into play because she's dressed like the, like the men, except uh, some of them allowed to wear a head covering under their PT cap. But I have to remind them that it, although they are not in the traditional dress, they still have to be conscious of God, be aware of God in their moral life, in their, in their thinking, in their behavior. Maybe mm. in the best situations, it is that God consciousness that forms our outward appearance. And it's not, and, and as parents, all three of us, we know that we, we require our children to do certain things until that inner God consciousness grows, right? But yes. um, So it's both and, but it, there is some, I guess, where the American culture and the 
burqa clash is, is right there. Is it, is it voluntary or is it something that's required of women that then puts women at a disadvantage? That's what I hear in the national culture. It's voluntary. It's not mandatory. Not everywhere. Not in Iran. Well, I mean, yeah, you said now you're going to Iran. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. So they have come up with uh, the interpretation that is mandatory. Saudi Arabia comes up with uh, the same interpretation. But I'm going back to the religion. Right. Okay. The religion is more culture than it is religious. But it, but it, is, it does It's religion fit. wrapped in political arms someone, for the... Someone has wrapped it. So in Afghanistan, in, yeah. in the Taliban, women yeah. can't go to school. Yeah, that's, that, that's uh, religion wrapped up under somebody's... In political power. Political power. Right. Yeah. I, like, I don't like to, but I, I have to use this for instance. Christian knights had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. That's a good analogy. And they wrapped up all of that religious principles or whatever under their little what under their narrow thinking, their narrow focus, their political mm-hmm. uh, agendas or whatever. So you can find it. You 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 you'll find it. You but I have to respect the fact that if you come if you're in those cultures, you 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 have to. I, I mean, you don't have to, but you see a, a beauty in that. When you come to America, you see other extremes. You do. <laughs> you see, I mean, extremes. Yes. And so there's a balance there, I think, for the Muslim in wanting to uh, take the road, road of modesty. But something, some of these cultural implications here can be troublesome. Troublesome for me, troublesome for Muslim. In the mosque, Masjid where I am, we, we, you'll find them every once in a while they come in. And they'd be fully covered with the burqa, as I, I use that term. We don't discriminate. I entertain them, and the others entertain. We, 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 we understand the culture. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard to be self-reflective when you're in the midst of a particular community, to be um, willing to be self-critical and to look outward and, and discriminate, as mm-hmm. you quite rightly pointed out, that which is, which is custom, versus mandated by whatever law that we observe. I know that within the context of Judaism, that in the past generation, we are not all facets of Judaism, but we are generally trying very, very hard to fight against the patriarchy that is inbuilt mm-hmm. into, our, into our faith, mm-hmm. trying to use words that are not patriarchal, in terms of describing God or our relationship to God, in terms of dress and access and all that, it's a very hard road to tread because custom exerts such a great pressure. And I'm not talking about external pressure, but the internal pressure. This is what Daddy did. This is what Mommy did. This is what past generations have done. And to be able to, again, be self-reflective and say, is this something that I need to keep or is this something that I can choose to reassess. Yeah. It is, it's hard in all cases. Yeah, I would agree. And it is interesting, as, as Omar said, I mean, in the American culture, I would say it is disturbing. It's almost like the opposites create each other. I remember going to the state fair after yeah, 9-11. Did I tell, yeah. tell you the story? And there was a lot of anti-Islamic media happening at the 
at that point, and I happened to be standing in line at that time. We had a daughter, little daughter in a stroller. There was a young, beautiful, young teenager. I don't know that she was 15. And if she had on all together a half a yard of fabric, I couldn't have pieced it together. <laughs> and I thought to myself, is it her are only two choices, a burqa or this? Please, Lord, let there be something in the middle. <laughs> you know, is this what we're fighting to defend? I don't think so. Well, you know, <laughs> you mentioned 911. Now, when that happened, which was a shock to our senses, especially Muslims, it, was, it really was a shock to our sensibilities. But we told our leader at that time, Imam W.D. Muhammad, and we say, uh, May God have mercy on his soul. He told our leader, American in America now, he told the Muslim sisters, he said, dress down. Do not appear as the typical Muslim. He didn't say Muslim, but as they expect you to appear. Okay. Was that a safety? That would have been a safety Yeah, thing. because uh, we had sisters who were traveling, sisters who were doing things, and, and uh, single sisters who had to work and do various other things. Had to travel on the subways in New York and other places, and I think the first one of the first persons that they said that was killed was a Sikh, right? Right, because they, someone thought he was Muslim. Muslim. So he said to the sisters, he said, "Wear baggy pants and wear, you know, blend in." He said, mm-hmm. and some of the Muslims from that were here from overseas, <laughs> some of the Imams. Oh no, we're not gonna compromise our religion. They were they were not looking at the safety. Mm-hmm. They were looking at just trying to present themselves and prove something to somebody, which was not necessary at that time. Because we had our wives and our daughters going out and it was a it was a scary time, it was a tough time. Sure. Yeah. It was. Yeah. We all, we, we never even got to a bunch of other Symbols, but no. this is, I've learned a lot today. I appreciate it. I think we better yeah. stop and maybe even come back. I didn't have to talk crosses at all. If y'all got cross questions, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Let's come back and do it. Let's okay. come back. Yeah. All right. There is a lot to talk about and much to learn. Thank you for joining us at Abraham's Table. This podcast is a labor of love produced by us with musical gifts shared by Kyle Lovett from his piece, Shofar Worship, on Spotify. We certainly hope that you have enjoyed our conversations and will share them with your friends and family. And as always, you are invited to communicate with us via email at abrahamstablesc at gmail.com. From Columbia, South Carolina, and until we meet again, we wish you God's peace. Assalamu alaikum. God's peace be on us all. Shalom aleichem. Peace to us all.